Swung on, long drive, right field, and this one belongs to the Reds. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, an in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Hey, good evening once again, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds as this 2015 Major League Baseball season starts to dwindle into the final couple weeks of the regular season. The playoffs are right around the corner. The Reds are not going to make it. The Indians still have a shot. They are only four games out, but only three out in the loss column, and they've got two more games more than the Houston Astros, who now are the team that the Indians are chasing. But let's talk about what's going on down south in Reds land, and to do that we've got to bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? I'm pretty good, Dave, and as I said last week, um, my my biggest complaint with Dave Mitchell these days is I'm jealous of you as you uh, talk about the Indians in a way I wish I could talk about the Reds, but, um, you know, I, I think th- th- some interesting statistics. I, I went to the Internet today, did some homework, and uh, we'll discuss that a little later, but uh, I think our focus, understandably, ought to be on the Indians, and, and why do you think this team has has hung around. Is it is it the pitching? Is that, is that what the glue that's keeping that team together? It's been the pitching. It's been absolutely been the pitching, and it's something that the the Indians have hung their hat on all season long, and that's what they're going to continue to hang their hat on. Well, yeah, that team I, I, again. I was looking on, online today and looking at their minor league system, the Reds system, and the problem the Reds have is. Unlike the Indians, in my opinion, the Indians play in a division that they can win the next three or four years. They could dominate that division. The Reds are not going to dominate the Central, not with the Cubs, the Pirates, and the Cardinals in that division. So their their road to success is, I think, going to be far more difficult than that of the Indians. Not that there's a bunch of cream puffs in this in the American League Central, but the 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 Cubs, the Pirates, and the Cardinals are three of the best teams in baseball, in, not just in a division, in baseball, and they're in the same division as the Reds. That that does not bode well for Cincinnati. No, but what I mean, what can the Reds do? Is I mean, we we've talked about this all year long. I think the first thing that the Reds have to decide upon doing is whether or not they are going to keep Walt Jockety as GM and Brian Price as manager, and what's the What's the status of those two yet? What have you heard down there about those two? Well, there is nothing to hear because uh, Red's management with Bob Castellini at the head has said that they're not going to do anything until the season is over. But it would not surprise me that they don't fire uh, Brian Price immediately the day after the season ends. What they don't want to do is have it linger into the playoffs and become a distraction for the playoffs of the World Series. So I think if, if they don't make a move by the time the playoffs starts, you might see Brian Price back next year. Now, with Walt Jockety, uh, that, that's a little more confusing situation. Uh, I heard a rumor down here that they were going to move him to a different spot in the Reds organization. Now, I don't know what that would be. He's I, I think he's president of baseball operations and general manager, so what do you do? You become... You know, you're selling hot dogs or, or you know, what are you doing? Uh, so I, I don't know what the, the response will be, but uh, in a few minutes I want to get into some of the uh, the numbers as it relates to Reds, which which frankly surprised me. But right now, I was looking at the, at the, the Indians roster. What are the five starting pitchers for the Indians today? If, if the playoffs began tomorrow, what would be your rotation? Uh, Kluber, obviously. Carrasco would be number two. Salazar would be number three. Then they'd probably go with Tomlin and Cody Anderson. They've moved Trevor Bauer into the bullpen. And 
like I said last week, I think Trevor Bauer is probably the one that the Indians would be most apt to trade during the offseason in order to get a right-handed power bat. Well, they're going to be a premium this year, right-handed power bats. And um, it, it's going to be interesting to see what Major League Baseball does because pitching is so dominated this year and, and last year, for that matter. And maybe it's the steroids. Who knows? But you just don't have the power uh, in the run scoring you did five, six years ago. And, you know, in, in my opinion, a lot of people love the one to nothing, two to one games. I still like the eight to eight to seven or 12 to 10 games. I think they're a lot more exciting. They drive you nuts when your team doesn't win. But, uh, you know, I think there needs to be a little more action in baseball. And uh, interesting to see what baseball does about that, if anything. Is there anything that they can do, Mark? I mean, when you look at what <coughs> they've done in the past when pitching has dominated overhitting they've they've lowered the mound they've made a, 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 major, a lot of changes as far as pitching is concerned but I think they've gone so far that there's no place else they can go now well I think they have to do something with the, with the strike zone um, you know you have it, it's so t- it's so tight that you know I think it impacts scoring and I, I think if the if, if the the pitchers were in a position to throw more strikes, I think that makes hitters more aggressive. But the, the strike zone right now is so wide that it, it certainly helps the pitchers. I think you need to narrow the strike zone, make them throw the ball over the plate, and you, you'd have more you'd have more offense. But I, I, the other day, I guess it was Friday or Saturday, I was watching a Reds game, and I was just amazed how much of the strike zone the the umpires give the pitchers it it, it really is amazing uh, pitchers pitches that were three to four inches outside or inside or high or low if you make a pitcher throw it over the over the middle of the plate make him throw strikes the hitters will hit it I don't care what kind of stuff they got see I I disagree with that totally I don't think the umpires call the strike zone and I've said that for the last four years I don't think the umpires call a strike a strike they never call anything above the belt a strike. Anything below the belt, yeah, I understand them giving two or three inches, but if they're not going to give the top of the strike zone, you've got to give the pitchers somewhere to work with in the lower part of the strike zone. And like I said, if you're not going to give the top, you've got to give an inch or two off the plate. Well, that's the point. The, 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 the umpires, in my opinion, call a strike zone too wide, which makes the hitters go after bad pitches, which makes outs. And if you, if you made it a tighter zone, uh, you'd force the pitchers to come over to the middle of the plate, and you'd have more offense. So I, I think that the umpire's zone is too wide. Of course, uh, I play first and third base. I think pitchers are bad people, and they always have been. So I, I don't want to give them any breaks at all. But if you throw the ball over the plate at 105 miles an hour and you throw a strike, somebody's going to hit it. Oh, I agree. I mean, these these guys are major league pitchers or major league hitters, and they're going to hit major league pitching no matter how fast it is if it's right down the middle of the plate. But like I said, if you don't give the top part of that strike zone, the strike zone is supposed to be from the letters, the armpits, whatever you want to say it is, according to the rule book, it's the armpits, all the way down to the kneecaps. If you're not going to give anything above that belt at, to the armpits, then you've got to give these pitchers somewhere to pitch below the belt, and what the umpires have done is, unilaterally, they've decided that it's going to be an inch or two off the plate on the inside or outside. As long as it's not above the belt, they'll give it to you. Yeah, and that's my point. So I think you're totally wrong, and, uh, you know, I don't know what else to say, Dave. I mean, I'm trying to save baseball, and, and you're fighting me. Well, what, are you saying that if, if they give the upper part of the strike zone, that's going to help the hitter? No, I'm saying if you narrow the strike zone, if you make the strike zone tighter, what is that going to mean? Well, obviously that's going to mean more hitting, but if you're going to, the reason they're doing it now, in my opinion, is because they're not giving the high strike. I don't think if, they're going to, if they're going to narrow the strike zone, they've got to give the high strike. You can't hit the high strike. Most, most hitters take that because they can't get on top of the ball. If you throw a ball 95 miles an hour and you throw it, it used to be letter, they call it letter high, you can't hit that pitch. 
So, you know, if you're going to give that to the pitcher, no hitter is going to swing at it anyway. I'm saying narrow the strike zone. Do not give the pitchers two and three inches, in some cases, off the plate. You'll have more offense. Well, see, I think there's enough offense as there is in the in the, especially in the American League. I I like a good two to one, three to two game. Well, that's where we will never enjoy a game together, then, David. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, these slugfests that you get into, yeah, they're fun now and now and again. But I'll tell you what, I there have been games this year. The best games I have seen this year. Have been the one to nothing, two to one, three to two ball games just from any club, and I'm not just talking about the Indians or the Reds. I'm talking about any major league baseball team. Well, I think after a while they get boring. There's not enough action, and I think that hurts baseball when you don't have enough action. Uh, you have some of these games. I mean, I'm not talking about you know twelve to ten every night, but uh, you know five to four, six to five, seven to six. Those are exciting games too. And that's because the, the, the offense is more exciting than a guy throwing a curveball into the dirt and then the other guy swinging and missing. It's, it's just more, it's more fun to, to go to those kinds of games, in my opinion. Anyway. Well, well, the Indians right now, they're off tonight. They are seven, 74 and 74 on the year. They're in third place now in the American League Central Division, 12 and a half games behind Kansas City. They are a game and a half behind the Twins, who just happen to be tied for the the next to the last spot as far as the wild card is concerned. But Houston has really hit the skids, Mark. They're no longer in first place. They're in the last wild card position as the Rangers have come back and overtaken them for first place in the West. And when you look at what those two teams have left, Houston's really got a tough schedule because they've got to play the Rangers and they've got to play the Angels going down the stretch here. Yeah, that's true, but they also, because of that, they control their own destiny. And if they're going to win, they're going to have to beat the teams that they got to beat. You'd rather have that than play teams that, uh, you know, are not in it. And uh, you can't control what's happening with the teams you're competing against. So uh, you're right, though. Houston has fallen on hard times, and it's you know, it's not surprising. I would have been more surprised if they had not had trouble this year. It's a young team. This is the first time many of those players have been in a pennant race. So I don't think anybody can say, wow, that, that, that's a real shocker. Uh, it would be a shock. I think it's a shocker the Giants aren't in it this year. But I'm not surprised well, Houston is, you know, having some tough times. And, they, and yeah. they, they may yet, you know, prevail, Dave, you know, just because they're Running into a rough spot right now doesn't mean they're not going to be. they got some great talent on that team. They've won only three of their last ten, Mark, but after going into a five-game skid, they've won their last two in a row. They're 79-71. and 71. They hold the last wild-card spot right now. They're two and a half games ahead of the Angels and the Twins, who are each 76-73, and 73, and they're four games in front of the Indians, who are 74-74. and 74. Then comes Baltimore. They're five and a half games back. But the strange thing is is that the Indians have two games more remaining than Houston does, and the Indians are only three games out in the loss column. Houston's got 71 losses. The Indians have 74. So as much as we say about this thing maybe being over as far as the Indians shape up, that's not the case. They're still in this thing. But out of their final, they've played 148 games now. They've got 14 games left. Out of these final 14 games, I think they've got to at least win 10 of them. Yeah, I would say, yeah, I think it's 10 to 11 would certainly give them a good shot. But, you know, Dave, if you go back to the beginning of the year, if you were to, if someone were to ask you, hey, Dave, the Indians are going to be in the pennant race in the last week, you'd take it. Yeah. And certainly, you know, that, that's that's exactly where you want your team to be as a fan. They've got a chance that they control their own destiny. They, they're playing the teams in front of them. Uh, they have a great pitching staff. I mean, there's there's it's exciting. I mean, I, I'm actually beginning to look at the Indians box scores and the games and their schedule and all that. And it's it, it's fun when you have a team that you can root for. And the Indians are, you know, that's that's not a slouch team. They got they got some good talent on that team. 
And, um, you know, you, your early season admonition about Lindor, where do you think the Indians would be if Lindor had started at shortstop this year? Wow. Uh, you know, e- even if he came up at the beginning of May, I think this team would have been in a lot better shape simply because the defense would have been better. Do you know, Mark, I, I saw an interesting stat going into yesterday's game. Mm-hmm. The Indians in their last 15 games had committed three errors. That, that over the last two years, has been the biggest improvement that this team has accomplished, is defense over the last two months. They got Chisenhall off of third. They put him into right field. You know, there's a lot of people, especially in Kansas City right now, these are the Kansas City announcers, not the Indians, but the Kansas City announcers that are comparing Lonnie Chisenhall to Alex Gordon. Because Alex Gordon came up playing third base for the Kansas City Royals, couldn't play it, it hampered his hitting, they moved him to left field, suddenly he became a Golden Glove left fielder and an all-star hitter. And the Kansas City announcers are seeing the same thing out of Lonnie Chisenhall. I'll tell you what, Mark, this guy can play right field. And even with, you're going to find this comment crazy, even with the fact that he's only played right field for two months, right now he is one of the best right fielders in baseball. Oh, Dave, you're crazy. No, I'm not. (laughs) He has the arm. You go back and you look at the plays that he has made in the outfield and the balls that he has gotten to. Mark, yesterday, Almonte in center field went back for a fly ball, and the ball was over his head, hit the fence. It bounced over Almonte's head. This is in dead center field. Do you know Michael Brantley was still standing in left field, but who backed that play up? And it was Lonnie Chisenhall. He came over from right field and backed the play up. And not only has that happened, but Almonte, his defense in center field, has spread over into Chisenhall because not only has Chisenhall backed him up, that Almonte has started backing up the plays in right or left field. That may seem like a fundamental thing to do, and it is, but how many times do you see a major league team do that? Not many. You know, it's interesting. When you're growing up as a kid, the joke is, well, he batted ninth and he played right field. If you're if you're a ten year old kid, that's where they they summon you when you're when you're not a very good player. In reality, right field is the toughest outfield position to play. You know, people say center is, but center you can see the ball so much easier coming off the bat. Uh, with right field, it's always twisting and turning and being sliced, and the throw from right field is the longest throw. And people don't realize that you got to you got to gun the ball to third base from right field. And ironically, your your right fielder in many cases is one of your best athletes, and that, that's when you grow up. That's not what you hear. Mark, I always played catcher, but in one game in high school, they put me in right field. I had never played right field before. This is the first time that I've actually told this this story outside of my family. There was a low line drive hit to right field. I came in, and it looked like I dove for the ball. And caught it, and everybody thought, boy, what a great catch. He sacrificed his body. He dove for the ball. In all honesty, what happened was, Mark, I caught one of my spikes in the shoestrings, and I fell down (laughs) (laughs) making the catch. You're right. Right field is a tough position to play. (laughs) Well, as long as we're talking about confessions, I I still have a game I remember. I think I was 14 playing in a Babe Ruth league in Dayton. And I had seen a guy jump up over the fence and catch a ball, and I wanted to do that. I was playing center field. So a, a friend of mine hit a long fly ball to deep center field. I mean, I thought it was going to be way over the fence. I jumped up on the fence. It was about a, I don't know, a six- or seven-foot fence. I actually had jumped up on it, had my feet on top of the fence, and the ball hit in center field in front of me. <laughs> so talking about misjudging a play and feeling like an idiot, but then I fell down off the fence. I think the guy got an inside the park home run, uh, but I was bound and determined to catch a ball over the fence. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Mark, I mean, I, I've got to say that if the Indians do manage somehow, now this week, they're off tonight, they've got the Twins. They have them on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Then they go to Kansas City over the weekend, whom they played tough, 
last week in Cleveland in a four-game set. They've got them three games over the weekend. The Indians split with Kansas City. Probably should have won three out of four, but blew the last game. And then they've got the Twins coming home next week for a four-game set, Monday through Thursday. If they can, you know, right there, you've got ten games. If they could take seven of ten, eight of ten of those games against that kind of competition, I really believe, Mark, if they can get into this playoff and they could throw Kluber or Carrasco against the Yankees, whom the Indians have played very, very good baseball against this year. They played them nine times. They won six. If they can take the Yankees, the Indians would be an extremely tough out in one of those short series because of their pitching. Well, that's assuming they don't have to use their number one pitcher uh, to win the final game of the year or to, you know, to get into the playoff. That's what you never know. The strength of this team, though, is, yeah, Kluber's their ace, but from two through four, they're all the same. Tomlin's been pitching probably the best of anybody right now over the last six weeks, and he's their number four pitcher. Then you've got Salazar and Carrasco in in the middle there, and it doesn't matter which one of those guys I believe that they go through. They they could actually start out with Carrasco in a short series if they had to pitch Salazar in a game at the end of the year in game number 162. I mean, for example, that game against Detroit that got rained out last week that they'll have to make up at the end of the year if the Indians are within a half a game. They'll have to make that up on that Monday following the, the Sunday final game final game you you could Tomlin's already pitched a two hitter against the Tigers this year Salazar's pitched let me uh, a four hitter here Carrasco's probably had the most ill amount of luck against the Tigers this season and every time that it seems like Kluber has to pitch against the Tigers he goes up against uh Verlander so he he has tough luck so it's really been Salazar and Tomlin that have had the luck against the Tigers this year. You know, you, given what happened to the Tigers this year, I'd certainly hate to play them that last game. With the talent they have, they can always rise up, and you, you just wonder. You know, it, I think Detroit has to be the biggest shocker this year in terms of a team not performing well. And, uh, boy, I hate to have the Indians, I hate to see them play the Tigers that last game to play in. Mark, I, I know we've got no inside information here about what's going to happen with the Reds. But if Brian Price is gone, let me ask it this way. Who is your favorite, just whom you would like to see as the new Reds manager? Well, I don't know enough about what is in the minor leagues uh, to, to know if there's someone down there that you bring up. Uh, my My gut is, whether he's my choice or not, my gut is the Reds are going to bring in Jim Riggleman from third base, let him manage, put Barry Larkin on the bench as a bench coach, and that would give Barry some you know, major league experience. And, and I think he's the heir apparent. And let's face it, the Reds aren't going to win next year. Uh, they, they just don't have the team to, to, to do that. So why would you want to bring in somebody and let him get his brains beat out, uh, let Riggleman handle a young team, uh, set them up for Larkin, and maybe give Ruggerman a two-year contract and then bring Barry in. I think that would certainly satiate the fans uh, to have Larkin on the bench. Uh, I'm not sure Ruggerman would be my first choice, although, you know, he, he did a good job with Washington with with a young team at the time, and he's had a lot of experience. What He's, he's managed four teams now, three teams. So uh, I think that's what the Reds would do. He's familiar with the organization. They're familiar with him. I don't know if he's well-liked or not. I've not heard anything about him as it relates to the Reds. But I think that's what the Reds would probably do. What makes you think that Barry Larkin is interested in managing? Oh, he's already expressed interest in that. And he, he was, um, I forget now what team just hired a manager, or last year hired a manager, and they, they interviewed Barry Larkin. So he has a, he's expressed interest in managing. He did Managed the World Baseball Congress team uh, for the for the uh, for United States, and uh, he clearly is you know he's a smart guy. Went to Michigan. Uh, I w- I would not be opposed to having him, you know, be a manager. I'd like to see him 
get some experience at the major league level on the bench as a as a coach. Uh, I, I think everybody would be more comfortable about that. But you don't want to bring Barry Larkin in, an icon, and his first year he loses 90 games. And he doesn't want that. He wants to come in where he has a chance to win, and it's not going to be next year with the Cincinnati Reds. And I don't think he'll go anywhere else unless he gets an impression that the Reds are never going to hire him. Now, the now, other... I beg to differ with one thing that you just said. Okay. I don't think there's any smart guys that come out of Michigan. <laughs> That's the only thing I disagree with you on. Well, uh, i tell you what, um, digressing a bit, you know that Michigan State-Ohio State game at the end of the year could be number one playing number two. It could be. And that would be exciting. That, oh, a- absolutely. That would be an ESPN nightmare because it's not in the SEC. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, okay, so so let's say Barry Larkin uh, would be the choice to take over after Riggleman comes in. Um how far away do you actually think that this Reds team is from maybe even competing? It's, it's very interesting. I, I saw an article yesterday in the paper, and it was confirmed online uh, several places, that the Reds are going after a outfielder, a Cuban outfielder, who's supposed to be the best of all of them that have come up. And uh, he's, it's going to take a $10 million signing bonus. He's Cuban. Uh, he's got power. He's got speed. He's got a great arm, and I think he's only, I think he's twenty or twenty-one years old. They said this kid is is really a very talented player, and the Reds are on the short list. They are aggressively pursuing this guy now. Other teams are too, and you know it gets to be a bidding war at some point. But you know, given the fact the Reds have Chapman on their team, uh, he is, and they have Rasiel Iglesias. Uh, that goes a long way in recruiting other Cuban players, and now the Reds uh, are going to have a scout in Cuba that's going to be allowed now, and you're going to see a lot of Cuban players coming in the United States. So, How's that going to change, this new diplomatic agreement that we've got with Cuba and, and opening up the doors and everything? How's that going to change the way Major League Baseball treats that country? Well, I, I think it, it changes a lot that they're, they're legally now allowed to go to Cuba uh, on work visas and go down there and scout these players. Now, how that impacts uh, domestically in Cuba, them allowing these players to leave legally, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know how, how the impact that has on visas and, and visitor passes and all that stuff. But clearly these Cuban players are finding a way to leave Cuba and come to the United States and play baseball. So I don't think that's going to change. But if the Reds sign this kid that they, they rumor are, are very close to signing, I think that might certainly move them up in terms of their uh, ability to come back and be a winning team in the next couple of years. But while we're talking about the Reds, I, I got a quiz for you. Uh, you follow the Reds probably not, not as closely as the Indians, but certainly closer than most people. Um, let, let's compare the 2014 and 2015 teams. Clearly, the record last year was 76 at 86, 10 games under 500. This year, the Reds are going to easily lose 90 games, maybe 95 games. Uh, they're probably going to win 65, 66 games. So uh, a much worse season. What do you think the team batting average was this year compared to last year? Well, I would think that the team batting average for the Reds this year was better than last year. Okay. It, last year was 238. This year it's 250. Okay. Now, they're going to lose probably at least 8 to 10 more games than they won last year. I mean, they're, they're going to lose 8 to 10 fewer games. I'm sorry, I'll get it right in a minute. Uh, they are going to win 8 to 10 games Fewer games this year than last. Now, right. uh, now, the ERA, what do you think the ERA was last year? Oh, I think it was, last year it was lower than this year. Very good. 359. And this year it's 422. That's an incredibly high ERA. Now, we were complaining early in the year that the Reds weren't hitting. What do you think... They are in home runs. Now, don't forget, the Reds have 14 games left. 
Well, last year they didn't have two guys that hit 30 home runs, and I think that this year they've got the two guys in Votto and Frazier that have hit 30 home runs, if I'm not mistaken. So I would say this year they've hit more home runs. Very good. They hit 131 home runs all last year. They've already hit 160 home runs. So it's likely, likely this team is going to hit 170, 175 home runs this year. So I'll save you the – you've been right on here um, – in runs last year, the Reds only scored 595, run, 595 runs. This year, they've scored 609. So they're going to probably, in 14 games, uh, they're going to score another 60, 70 runs. They're going to, this team's going to score 675 runs this year. Now, in runs allowed, last year they gave up 612. This year, they've already given up 668, and in their strikeouts, they struck out 1,252 times last year. This year, they only struck out 1,118 times. Now, at the end of 2014, when you look at these stats, a 238 batting average, I think was next to last in the league in hitting. What did the Reds do to increase their offense last year? Brought in Marlon Bird. Yeah, that was it. Now, in fairness, they didn't have Devin Mezzarocco, who was supposed to hit 25, 30 home runs. Well, they really didn't have him last year either. Well, last year he had 25 home runs. He was on the DL three times, but he, he still had 25 home runs and drove in 80 runs. He didn't play at all this year. I mean, he played... He had, right, well, Votto, Votto's taking up that slack. Exactly, but my point here is that the Reds last year were an abysmal, horrible offensive team, and they had pretty good pitching. And if you go back to 13, the pitching was damn good. They actually improved their offense this year, substantially improved it in runs scored, in uh, home runs, in batting average. Uh, they have fewer strikeouts, all those things that you want to see. And what gives me some hope, and this is all coming back to your question, next year they're going to get Zach Cozart back. They're going to get Devin Mezzarocco back. And if, if they finally get that left fielder that we've all been looking for for five years, the answer to your question is the Reds could be pretty competitive next year. If nothing else, they're going to score a lot of runs. Now, can they keep the other team from scoring uh, that will be the big question, but the rumor down here is the Reds are going to go after a very prominent number one starter. That's going to be their number one wish list for um, for 2016 is to find that number one or number two starter. So other than Johnny Cueto, who would they go after? Uh, I don't know who the free agents are. I've not studied that yet. But wouldn't it be interesting, you know who got released this week? No, who? Matt Latos. He did? Yeah, he got released, designated for assignment. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, did not know that one. And, uh, you know, just is only six months ago when the Reds traded him, uh, or during the winter when they traded him, that was... And got a stud pitcher for him. That, that's right. They, they got D. Scott Plenty, and uh, he's he's going to be in the starting rotation next year. But I wonder if they would go after Latos, because he, he really... He pitched very well in Cincinnati for the time he was here. He got hurt last year. He was, what, 5-5, five and five, I think, last year. But the two years previous, he was very effective. And, of course, he burned a lot of bridges here in the clubhouse, and that may be the reason he, he is not picked up by the Reds. But uh, the, the guy lost his fastball this year. And they said he was throwing at the end of last year, even after recovering from a, a sore arm, he was throwing 94-95. And this year, he was barely breaking 90 on his fastball. Now, if he can come back, that's a guy you'd probably get on the cheap uh, to help your rotation. But I think they're going to go after a bigger name than that, and I don't know who that might be. I don't know who's out there yet. Um, but the other guy who is, you know, you'd look back at what Jockety did. Uh, and I, I, don't think I, brought, I brought the numbers, and I didn't, I didn't bring them downstairs with me. But uh, if I remember, uh, Johnny Cueto right now with uh, Kansas City, I think he is, what, 3-6 and six 
with a 5.65 ERA. And Mike Leak is 1-3 with a 4.50 ERA. The only guy that's really pitched well, and, and Latos was 0-3 for the Dodgers, the only guy that's pitched really well is Alfredo Simon for Detroit. Right, he's and he four, has pitched well. He's won, I think he's won 14 games. So, you know, that Jockety getting rid of, rid of Leak, Cueto, and Latos, uh, the combined uh, winning percentage in those pitchers, I, I think they're like, uh, what's that, three, six and 14 or six and 15 since they've been traded? That's, <laughs> maybe he knows something, you know? Those guys have not been productive. And Johnny Cueto, I'm telling you, he has a lot of friends in Cincinnati, and I, and he's his price has gone down dramatically since he left the Reds, and you, you never know if he's going to come back. No, I I agree with you. I mean he he could very well come back to the Reds. I I think he, you're you're absolutely right, Mark. He is. If there's nothing physically wrong with Cueto, he's homesick. Yeah, and people don't understand that. But when you're the Reds signed Johnny Cueto when he was 16 years old, he has been with the Reds almost his entire life, and he has friends on the. He's got a, Hernandez, the catcher, is one of his great friends. Aroldis uh, uh, Chapman is a great friend of his. A lot of guys that the, the team loves him. His teammates love him. He didn't want to leave Cincinnati. You know, he cried three or four times when, when he thought he was going to be traded, and you know some of these players. It's because they make a lot of money. It doesn't mean they have some emotion. They don't have some emotion. And that may be something that his agent and he talk about. But the irony would be if he would accept a sweetheart deal from the Reds, the union would go ballistic. Well, here's the thing. Now you bring this up, and this is one of the things that I wanted to, to talk about tonight. You, you brought up the fact he, he makes a lot of money. You know, we've kicked around the Steven Strasburg, Matt Harvey thing pretty much a lot when it has come out. But the one thing that I've kind of held back until I actually thought it through uh, is the topic that I want to bring up tonight. This Matt Harvey thing, Mets GM Sandy Alderson conferenced over the weekend with members of Matt Harvey's camp to outline the plan that they're going to use for the pitcher going forward. Scott Boros, the agent, Dr. James Andrews, all spoke with Alderson, and together they decided the best thing for Harvey was what has become the current plan, a series of abbreviated starts to finish the season and keep Harvey's innings within what Alderson called a reasonable range. Mark, I, I know you've, you've said this time and time again, and, and I've heard other people say it, and I've stayed away from talking about it because I really wanted to think it through, and now I think I have, about how these guys make so much money that these owners want to, te to treat these guys with kit gloves, and they if there's just a little bit of ache and pain, they sit them out. I've said the same thing about the Indians. You know, we've, we've talked about this ad nauseum. Mark, if I'm an owner, and I'm paying somebody millions and millions and millions of dollars, by God, you're going to go out there and you're going to play. I don't care if you've got a hangnail that day. You're going out and you're going to play. My fans are expecting you to play. I'm expecting you to play. My bank is expecting you to play. And your, your paycheck tells me that you're going to play, and the contract that I have with you tells me that you're going to play. I am sick and tired of these guys because they've got a cold, because their arm doesn't feel up to par, because their legs hurt, or whatever, their back is tight, whatever the situation is, they're homesick, whatever, they don't want to play because it could hurt, hamper their long-term earning potential. Quite honestly, Mark, I don't care about their long-term earning potential. When they sit out, that is tantamount to me letting them go on the DL for 15 or 20 days. That, that's how I feel about it, and, and it's my opinion that these guys need to go out and play. They owe it to everybody if they expect to get paid the big bucks. Okay, I don't disagree with anything you said. Now, I'm the player, and I come to you and say, hey, you know what? I'm not feeling good. I, I think I'm going to sit this next, my next assignment out. Mm -hmm. What are you going to say? 
I'm going to say, do you think that the guy that is up there building the the replacement for the Twin Towers taking a day off because he's got the flu? No, he's got a family to take care of. He's got a family to feed. He's got health insurance to pay for. No, because you're sick doesn't mean that you get to take a day off. Yeah, but you know what? I'm going to take it anyway. Have a good well, day. Have a good day. That's fine. Then I'll dock it from your paycheck. No, you won't. Cause just I... like just like a just like a union guy would get somebody from the AFL CIO. If they don't have any sick days left and they take a sick day off, they're going to get it docked from their paycheck. Hey, hey, Mr. Owner, in case you didn't notice, I get paid whether I pitch or not. So, again, have a good day. I'm out of here. If you, my, don't, if you don't like it, go my talk manager, to my agent. My manager would put that name in the lineup card, and, and when it's time for his name to come up in the batting order, if he isn't out there, we got a problem. Yeah, it's not my problem. The point is, Dave, as an owner, you don't have any power. You, you can't, as a general manager, as a manager, you can't make me play. I know you can't. You know I know you can't. So a lot of these threats that owners or, or managers might want to, to utilize, they don't mean anything. The players control it. If you try to dock my pay, the baseball union would be down your throat in 24 hours. You wouldn't be able to do it. Now, you can cause them, you can cause me a lot of grief in the press by saying this guy's a wimp. This guy, you know, we're not going to resign him or whatever you're going to say. All that does is reduce my value if you try to trade me. I've got all the cards. The contracts are written in a way, whether I pitch or I don't pitch, I get paid. And I'm not going to risk my career on your lousy team because I have a sore arm. And I don't want to go out there and pitch and ruin my career. Now, I agree with you what you're saying. I agree with you. But I'm playing devil's advocate here that the, the players, they don't care what you want. If they have a sore arm, they're going to call their agent and say, look, I, I, don't, I don't feel like playing. You know, and the funny thing is, I, I'm, I'm somewhat close to this because I have a condo in Cincinnati. And ironically, one of my tenants in that condo is Rasiel Iglesias. And I've talked to his agent many times. Mm -hmm. And everything that Rasiel wants, Rasiel gets. All he has to do is call his agent. And his agent takes care of everything, including a general manager or manager that wants him to pitch when he's not feeling 100%. So what are you saying? I'm saying that you're right, but you can't do anything about it as an owner or a manager or a GM. Well, as far as Matt Harvey is concerned, I don't have to go out and take him out of the game. Yeah, but Davey, if he, if he thinks he's hurting, <laughs> he's just not going to go out. I, I don't have to take him out of the game. I know. You know, and then, and then after the game, if I'm the manager, if I'm Terry Collins, I let, the, I let the media know, or if I'm the GM, I let the media know, hey, he asked out. Okay, so what? It was his idea. So what? What do you mean, so what? It, Let the fans know. The, but the fans are going to know that anyway, and do you think Harvey, who has a chance to make, what, five or six hundred million dollars? I don't care what he thinks he can make in five or six years. I don't <laughs> care. My prime concern right now is to win a world's championship for the New York Mets, and he and Scott Boros are hindering that for 24 other guys on that team. And I go back to this statement, Dave. What are you going to do about it? If, he, if, he, if you say, Matt, get out there and pitch in the seventh inning, and he says no, what are you going to okay, do? Then he isn't going to pitch at all the rest of the year. Okay, that's probably what he wants anyway. Well, then that's fine. Then he doesn't pitch at all for the rest of the year. That's fine. That and he can do. he's still got options, Mark. Yeah, I understand. I don't that. have to bring him up next year. But that well, that that's not going to happen because he has a major league contract, and if you don't sign him, he becomes a free agent and he leaves. He's one of the great talents in baseball. He he simply controls the game, Dave. And you, as an owner or manager or GM, you do not. And. And threats don't work because these guys are making too damn much money. They don't care. Kershaw just signed a $300 million contract, 
and he's what, 24 years old, 25 years old, he could get another one. This guy. Well, you and I, you and I have talked about, uh, you know, giving pitchers long-term contracts. I would never do it. You know, Max Scherzer and what he did to Matt Williams the other day from the pitcher's mound, that to me would have been a suspendable offense right there. Well, I heard it a little differently. I heard when Matt Williams was interviewed about that, he said he went out there and asked him, "Can do you want this guy? He didn't say you're coming out of the game. He said, do you want this guy? Which I've heard managers say on the mound many times. I played first base. You're always in there listening to that stuff. Do you want this guy? And he said, F, 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 yes. You know, damn right I do. And he was pretty adamant about it. And Williams said, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. That's At least that's what Williams is saying. I read that this morning in the paper. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, you know, who knows what was really said. But if I was a manager, I went out there and asked that question, and I got that response, yeah, I'm going to give the guy a shot at it. Oh, I agree. I, I would definitely give him a shot at it, too. But that sounds to me like Matt Williams trying to cover for his pitcher. Well, that, you may be absolutely right. I don't know about that. But at least in the paper, he was, he was kind of proud of the guy for standing up and saying, damn it, I want this guy. Give me the ball. I'm going to, I'm going to get him out. And he did get him out. So that's the that's the important thing. But I, I, you know, like you, I guess I'm old school. If I go out there to try and take a pitcher out, I kind of want him to talk me out of it if he thinks he's got the stuff. A lot of these guys don't they don't care enough. To, you know, they all they're worried about is their ERA. So right. you know, Scherzer is a battler out there. He's always been that way. Yeah, you know, Scherzer grew up being schooled by by Jim Leland too, and then he got shoved into the Brad Osmus debacle that is turning out to be really a mess in Detroit. And and what he has just completely lost that team. This is a guy, Mark, that came in with a lot of high marks. A lot of people in baseball thought that he would be the next great manager, and he's just turned out to be an absolute mess for that organization. And he, he's just turned out to be an absolute mess with that organization. Well, I think we've lost Mark. Skype has been rather interesting over the past 24 hours, folks. This, is, this has really been something that has been interesting. I was almost afraid tonight that we weren't going to be able to have the show because the, the way we set this up on Skype is that Mark calls in and... That's how we do the show is with him on Skype. And today I do most of my business on Skype, and it has been just an absolute nightmare to talk through uh, Skype today. As a matter of fact, Skype wasn't even working until about 7 o'clock this evening, and I was afraid we were going to have to, to cancel the show because of what was going on with Skype today. But nonetheless, the minute we get Mark back, we'll talk a little bit more about this, these ball players' situations. Another thing that I wanted to bring up tonight on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show was how the Cardinals are in trouble because their catcher, Yadier Molina, has suffered a mild ligament tear in his left thumb. He did that yesterday against the Reds, and he's going to be out for probably at least the next week. Now, that not only puts a big hole in the Cardinal batting order in that number five spot that he normally hits in. But it also puts a big hole for them behind the plate. And, you know, when when you lose an all-star caliber catcher like Yadier Molina, you know that you are going to be hurting. And I think we may have Mark back now. Mark, are you back? I am. I Somehow, I guess it was uh, Matt Williams who got us cut off, I, I guess. <laughs> No, Skype has been uh, acting up all day long, as I was telling the fans while you were away. Um, I do most of my business on Skype, and it was unavailable to use pretty much all day until about 7 o'clock tonight, and I thought maybe we would have to postpone the show because this is the way we we get you on is through Skype. But then about 7.30, it popped back on, so... I'm not sure if maybe that's just an after effect of what happened today or not. But I, I switched the subject while you were away, Mark, to Yadier Molina and how he was hurt over the weekend. And he's got a a mild 
ligament sprain in his, or tear, I should say, in his left thumb, and he's out for at least a week. And when you lose a number five hitter like Yadier Molina, and most especially a guy behind the plate of his caliber, that may be the biggest injury that the Cardinals have faced this year. Yeah, and they they have faced a bunch. I mean, if this team wins, uh, well, they're going to win the uh, get in the playoffs. If they win the pennant in the World Series, it, it is just a, a miraculous job by the manager of that team and uh, the whole organization. The, work, the way they're able to come up with players to fill the gaps when needed. Uh, but you're right; it's hard. You know, uh, Molina is, is something special behind the plate. He's a leader of that team, and he's hitting well. He was hitting last I saw, it's 275, 280, but he's such a, a clutch hitter and runs that pitching staff to, in, a, in a terrific manner, and uh, it, it, that's going to be a tough loss to overcome. Mark, why are the Reds playing so tough? Right now they're ahead of the Cardinals this evening, one nothing going into the seventh inning. Why are they playing so tough against the Cardinals all of a sudden? I don't know. They, they won two out of three, and then they won three out of four, and they're ahead today. Uh, maybe it's just their turn. You know, these things go in cycles. And, you know, I got a feel, too, that the Cardinals have been so dominant over the Reds the last two or three years that maybe there's a letdown when they see the Reds come into town. They, oh, we're going to win at least three out of four or two out of three. And then, you know, the Reds, when they, you know, get some decent pitching, you know, they we say they've been scoring runs. And, uh, you know, they've actually played, I think in September, they played 500 baseball which is kind of surprising when you think of all the rookie pitchers they have started this year. And to come into September, I think they're 9-9, nine and nine, I believe, uh, going into tonight. And that's, that's a real surprise. And frankly, it's a disappointment to me because I had hoped that they were going to get the number one draft pick next year. So, <laughs> you know, right now they're standing at number five. They're the fifth, they get the fifth draft pick. But uh, they, could, they could fall down to seventh. If they keep winning, which uh, for a Res fan, you know, you want your team to win, but uh, there's really nothing to be gained by winning an extra 10 or 12 games this year. Mark, this report just came out from Mark Sheldon on the Reds and a meeting that they had earlier today between Walt Jockety, head trainer Paul Lassard, and Brian Price about Billy Hamilton. Supposedly... Price and Jockety, or I'm sorry, Jockety and Lassard, I'm reading this off of my phone, Jockety and Lassard would like Hamilton to undergo surgery on that injured right shoulder. Brian Price wants him to stick around and be a pinch runner for the rest of the year. But according to Len, uh, Sheldon, Jockety and Lassard are afraid if he would do that, it could be issues if he were to bang up that shoulder again with a head-first slide. So there there appears to be some disjointed thoughts here about Billy Hamilton and what to do with him for the rest of the year. Now, we both know that Brian Price is probably not going to be coming back. So do you think his opinion matters much to those two? Probably not. But then again, is Walt Jockety going to be back next year? Well, even if he's not, you certainly there's nothing to be gained. Billy Hamilton is hitting two twenty. He's not going to lend to this team's success the way he's hitting now. And with a sore shoulder, he's not going to be batting. And, you know, stealing bases is is a dangerous thing. And you can get hurt. And I I absolutely agree with uh, Jockety and Lassard in this matter. I mean, get him out of there. You've got a guy, Bourgeois, who's playing good center field. And he's actually hitting much better than Billy Hamilton. So let let him alone. Again, winning an extra few games... And I'm not convinced Hamilton can help you win a few games. I don't know what his WAR is, war is, but I bet it's not much. And um, that's a no-brainer to me. Mark, from what I understand, Francisco Lindor's war, and I know absolutely nothing about the war stat. I've, I've never really gotten into that. But from what I understand, his war stat is the highest of anybody in baseball, even above Mike Trout. Well, it, it, I, I doubt it would be collectively for this year. Maybe since he came up, it might be. Since he came up. Yeah, right. okay. All right. Yeah, that, that would make sense. And for people out there who don't know what war is, it's a measurement of wins 
against replacement. In other words, Mike Trout arguably is the best player in baseball. I don't know what his war is, but a good war would be seven, eight. That means against his replacement, whomever that would be, Mike Trout in the lineup means you're going to win seven or eight more games over a year. That's, that's, that's a very healthy war. But it means whomever is going to replace you, you are better than or you are worse than. You can have a minus war. But a war is a way that they try to objectively measure a player's value to a team and is one of the major statistics they use when negotiating contracts. How good are you? If we replace you with somebody else, let's, let's say you have a player that's making, I don't know, $15 million a year, and their war is five. But you have a player you can sign for $2 million, and their war is four. What are you going to do? I take the cheaper, the cheaper guy for one less win, at least statistically. And that's what a lot of teams are banking on now. So that's if you don't know what war means, that that is what it means. Well, yeah, and 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 from what I understand, that's that's where uh, Francisco Lindor is right now. He is he's got about a seven or eight war rating, which, like I said, I I really don't pay any attention to those. Mark, one one other item about Major League Baseball before we close out tonight's show: Milo Hamilton, former radio announcer for. Not only the Chicago, or I'm, I'm sorry, the Houston Astros, but also the uh, Atlanta Braves. He was part of them for a while. Passed away this week, 88 years old, Milo Hamilton. And do you remember the the call that he made? Oh yeah, 1975. Hank Aaron hit the home run in Cincinnati off Jack Billingham. It was a hanging curveball, and I was very depressed because it was in the first inning, and I thought the Reds were going to lose opening day. Let's let's take a listen to Milo Hamilton's call of Hank Aaron's 715th home run. He's sitting on 714. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into the center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 715. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Henry Aaron is coming around third. His teammates are at home plate, and listen to this crowd. That was an unbelievable Monday night. That was a Monday night, Mark. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to play the, the game where he tied it at, at Riverfront Stadium on opening day, and I, I, I did see that game, but I saw the downing pitch too. So, yeah, those are two, and I think those, they came in the first week of, of the 75 season, if I recall. It was In Cincinnati, he tied it against Billingham, and then he set the record against Downing in in, yeah. in Atlanta. Yeah, in, in Atlanta. Yeah, remember during the winter, uh, there was a big discussion as to whether or not he was going to play on opening day in Cincinnati because Atlanta wanted him to tie and break the record in Atlanta, and Bowie Kuhn said that he had to play in Cincinnati. You remember who caught the ball off in in the bullpen? Tom House. Very good. Boy, you were hot tonight. Whoa. <laughs> you were rolling tonight, Dave. Oh, boy, I'll tell you what. You know, that, that was that's, that's a shame because I, I really enjoyed Milo Hamilton was one of the most underrated play-by-play announcers in baseball, and he's gone. And, Mark, want to send out happy birthday wishes tonight to former Indians and Giants pitcher Sam McDowell. Sudden Sam McDowell. Turned seventy three on Saturday. Man, hard to believe. Yeah, he, he, could, he talk about a guy who could throw hard. Just think if he had had he been sober. <laughs> Funny, that's what my dad says about him too. <laughs> you know, but then again, the, maybe one of the best trades the Indians ever made. Remember, they traded sudden Sam McDowell to the Giants for Gaylord Perry and Frank Duffy. Oh wow. What what a trade. Mark, what do the Reds have coming up this week? I know they've got the Cardinals tonight. They lead one nothing in the seventh, but what else? We see they, they go to we see I looked at this this morning, they go to Pittsburgh. And they have the last three games of the year with Pittsburgh. They got Washington left, and they have four game series with the Mets coming up at the end of this week. So they only have fourteen games left. And just like the Indians, uh they have fourteen games, but 
the 14 games the Reds are going to play this week against the Cardinals, they have three, and the Mets are nothing like the Indians are going to play. Yeah, and the Indians have the Twins tomorrow night through Thursday night, and then they're at Kansas City through Sunday, and then they have the Twins in Cleveland next Monday night through Thursday night. Mark, that's going to do it. We'll talk to you again next week. Have a good one, Dave. That's going to do it for us tonight. We'll be back with you again with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show coming up next Monday night at 9 o'clock as the season continues to wind down. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer of tonight's show, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next week, next Monday night at 9 o'clock with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Have a good week, everybody. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Pella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke.